The question that we ask today is this, what does a person have to do to get into heaven? What does a person have to do to get into heaven? I think most people would answer that question by saying something along the lines of by being a good person. We're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with someone who appears to have everything going for him. He is set financially. He has a prestigious career. He commands respect among his peers. He would be considered a good person. But there was still something missing in his life. He had tried to check all of the right boxes for having a good life, but he still felt empty inside. And he comes to Jesus to get insight and answers. And Jesus doesn't give him the answer that he was hoping for. Instead, what Jesus tells him causes him to reevaluate his whole life. Now, before we get into that story, we are going to look at another little story which helps us understand what Jesus teaches in the larger story that follows. So flip over, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13. Says then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. So people are bringing their babies and small children to Jesus to have him lay his hands on them, to bless them, and to pray for them. The disciples, though, they try to stop the people from doing it. The, the text says they rebuked the people. They give the people a stern correction to stop bringing their children to Jesus. You may remember that the general view of children in those days was a little different from our own day. Although children were loved by their parents, they had no rights, no status, no voice, no power, no influence. This is an adult world, and until the children are adults, they are expected to be seen and not heard, to do what they're told, to stay out of the way and not make trouble or draw attention to themselves. Well, knowing this, I think it helps us to better understand the attitude that the disciples have here. The disciples, they have good intentions at heart. They're trying to protect Jesus' time so his efforts and his attention can be given to more important things. They see this baby blessing stuff as an interruption and a distraction from more weighty and important things that Jesus needs to spend his time on. They don't understand the heart of Jesus and his mission as well as they think they do, though. Verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Well, how does Jesus react to the disciples trying to prevent the little children from coming to him? Well, he's not happy about it what they're doing. In fact, Mark's telling of the story says that Jesus was indignant. He's grieved by their attitude and action. Jesus has a very different understanding about who and what is important. Jesus is not concerned with impressing and winning the favor of the powerful and the influential of society. The prevailing understanding of the day saw children as powerless and unimportant. That meant they were to take their place at the back of the line. Little children, they didn't have power or resources to further Jesus' career, to spread his cause, to 
fund his vision. They had nothing to offer of any tangible value. But Jesus purposely sought people out, didn't he, who were shunned and ignored by others. He healed the blind, the crippled, the leprous, the demon-possessed. He interacted with the prostitute and the vile tax collector. And Jesus gave time and attention to children. There are no overlooked, ignored, avoided people in the kingdom of God. All are invited, no matter how small or insignificant others may think you are. As Horton said, a person's a person, no matter how small. Well, rather than pushing the children out of the way to pursue bigger, more influential fish who can serve his purposes, Jesus sets them up as an example for us. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What does Jesus mean by that? What, what about a child is Jesus referring to? Well, he's not saying that we're to be childish, throwing ourselves on the floor and kicking and screaming because we don't get our way. He's not saying that we are to be self-centered and willing to share our toys with others. When Jesus tells us to receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he's referring to the simple trust that a little child has in her parents' love and provision for her. Jesus wants us to see that we can't, that we can't earn our way into the kingdom of God any more than a little child can earn her way into her family. I mean, when a baby is born, dad and mom don't say, prove your worth to us and we'll consider keeping you. They don't say, you need to pull your own weight in this family or we'll be getting rid of you. They don't expect her to go out and get a job to contribute to the family income. Instead, dad and mom welcome that precious little one into the family and they love her and they take care of her, doing whatever is necessary to make sure she's safe and secure and she thrives and has what she needs to grow. A properly loved child doesn't fret and worry about whether dad and mom love her if they are going to keep her, feed her, give her a place to sleep, clothe her, and so forth. She doesn't go around frantically trying to prove her worthiness to be in the family. She's confident and she's secure in their love for her. She has to trust her parents' love for her. She can't provide for herself any of the stuff that she needs to survive. It's all beyond her ability and know how she's completely dependent on her parents for everything. She trusts in her parents for everything. And is it not the same for us as God's children? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Our Heavenly Father loves us and He is inviting us up into His arms. The amazing, generous grace of God, it's laid out before us in both this story and in the next one. Entering the kingdom of God is more costly and difficult than any of us can imagine. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. 
We can't buy it. It's completely out of reach for all of us. How then are we to enter the kingdom of God to receive salvation, to have eternal life? We receive it like a little child from our Heavenly Father. This next story teaches the same truth that Jesus teaches here in this story. Entrance into the kingdom of God is not something we can earn. It's something that we receive with childlike trusting faith. Verse 16, it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man who comes up to Jesus is called Young in verse 20. He's referred to as a ruler in Luke's account of the story in Luke 18, 18. And we learn down in verse 22 that this man has great wealth. So this man is a rich, young ruler. In other words, he has everything going for him, materially speaking. He has wealth, he has power, he has importance, and he's young enough to enjoy it all. I mean, for most of us, when we're young, we don't have enough wealth and power to do much of anything beyond surviving. When we finally do have a little bit of wealth and power, well, then we're too old to enjoy it. This guy is that rare person who has it all. He has wealth, he has power, he has time, and he still has his youth. In spite of all that this man has going for him, he's still lacking something in his life. The deep emptiness in the human soul can't be filled by wealth or power or fame or anything else that this life has to offer. He comes up to Jesus and he asks him what he must do to get eternal life. In other words, he wants to know how to be saved, how to enter the kingdom of God, how to obtain lasting peace and fulfillment, how to go to heaven. These are all ways of expressing that same desire deep in the human heart for a relationship with God. This is one of the most important questions for us to seek to answer in this life. Now, some people, they avoid this question. They purposely fill their life with distractions to keep that question from bubbling up to the top and having to face it. But we should seek to answer this question. We are all going to want to know the answer to this question eventually. All of us, we're all going to eventually face tragedy and death. This question about salvation and eternal life is going to come up. It is unavoidable. And we can see from the way that this young man asked the question that he's thinking in terms of something he can do, do to earn or to deserve eternal life. And this is the common thinking of most people, isn't it? I mean, it, it makes sense. Everything worth having costs something. Something as important and amazing as eternal life has got to cost a great deal. So what does a person have to do to get it? Here's the situation we're faced with, though. Eternal life costs way more than any of us could ever afford. It's simply too expensive for us to pay for it, and we are all grossly underqualified to ever earn it. Eternal life is unattainable for all of us. The only way for any of us to ever have eternal life is for it to be given to us 
as a gift from God. We're dependent on our Heavenly Father for eternal life, like a little child is dependent on her parents for life. Eternal life has to be received with simple trust, like a little child's. 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus challenges the young man's point of view on life and his belief system about what is good and what makes a person good before God. When we get a little further into this conversation, we'll discover that this young man believes he has been a good person. And most people believe they are basically a good person. If I were to go out and ask just random people on the street if they think they are basically a good person, almost everyone would answer that question with a yes. Jesus wants this man to realize that the goodness required for eternal life is beyond his reach. Being basically a good person is not good enough. Only God is good enough. The only human ever good enough was God, the Son, Jesus Christ, who became a human to die for us and credit his goodness to us. Jesus answers this young man's question about how to get eternal life by using the same set of rules that this young man has been living his life by. Jesus gives a condensed summary of the Old Testament law. The Jews believe that a person kept, who kept the Old Testament commandments would enter eternal life. Many people on our own day think essentially the same thing. To get to heaven, you have to be a good person, you have to follow all the rules, or at least follow most of the rules most of the time. Well, Jesus is blowing that up. Verse 20, All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? The young man says he's kept all of the commandments since childhood, that he's been a good person. And I believe this young man is sincere in his answer to Jesus. He's not bragging about how good he is. I think he's saying this. He's saying, I've tried to live a morally good life. I have fulfilled all of the religious obligations expected of me. I go to synagogue. I honor the Sabbath. I don't cheat people. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't gossip. I've tried to do the right thing and be a good person my whole life. But I know there is something more. I know I lack something. I know I am still falling short. I know in my heart of hearts that I have not done enough to earn my way to heaven. I still feel guilty and dirty inside. I still feel alienated, separated from God. Jesus answered in 21, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In Mark's telling of this story, he includes the remark that Jesus looked at this young man and he loved him when he tells him this. Jesus recognizes this man's sincere longing and struggle. Jesus looks right into his heart and he knows him. Jesus has the same kind of insightful compassion for each of us too. Jesus sees into our heart. He knows what drives us. He knows about our insecurities. He sees through our cover-ups. He loves us in the midst of the poverty of our soul. He looks at us and he loves us. Jesus puts his finger right on the sensitive spot for this man, though. He doesn't just send him away, making him feel good about himself. Jesus confronts him with the truth. Jesus loves him too much to not confront him with the truth about himself. People, they don't really want to hear the truth about themselves, though. They want to be made to feel good about themselves. But really, what good is that in the long run? It just continues the delusion that we're already living under. Jesus knows what he's really trusting in at the foundation of his life. He knows where he gets his sense of security and his sense of self-worth. That's what Jesus touches. He tells him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor and then follow Jesus. Jesus strips the cover off of this man's life to show him that earning eternal life is beyond his abilities. Will he understand that and continue to seek after Jesus for the answer to his dilemma? Or will he continue to try to pull himself up by his own bootstraps? Verse 22 answers that force. says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He goes away sad and discouraged. Jesus has asked him to do something that he can't do, something that he's not willing to do. And if we are honest, we too find this request of Jesus too hard to do. We can try to put this man at a safe distance and think, oh, how sad it is that he's unwilling to give away everything he owns and then follow Jesus. This man is so materialistic. Who here of us would have been willing to do it? The point behind Jesus telling him to sell all he has and give it to the poor is to show him and his disciples and us that none of us are willing and able to really do all that is required to get eternal life, to enter the kingdom of God, to be saved, to go to heaven. People who judge this man for being unwilling to give away everything he had, they're missing the point of the story. And they're being dishonest about their own inability and unwillingness to do what is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. 
You know, maybe money and possessions are not your hang-up. There's something in your life, though, that is just as big of a hang-up, something that is the deal-breaker for you. And if you'd been in the place of this man, Jesus would have called you out on whatever that was that's your deal-breaker. And you would have been faced with the same kind of crisis that this man is faced with. You have to decide whether you're going to go away sad and discouraged or you're going to lean harder into Jesus, trusting in him rather than yourself. Verse 23 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, who then can be saved? The disciples are greatly astonished by what Jesus says, that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Impossible even. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard would it be to fit a real, living, full-grown camel through the eye of a little sewing needle? It would be impossible. If you want to have a living, breathing camel when you're done. Because the only way I can think to get a camel through the eye of a needle would be to have a camel processed into soup first. And then you could squirt him through the little tiny hole. In that culture, though, see, wealth was believed to be evidence of God's blessing on a person. And this is why the disciples are so shocked by what Jesus says. Not only is this man wealthy, which is a sign of God's blessing on him, but he's one who would have been considered a good person. So he's he's a good rich guy. The disciples' reasoning went something like this. If a good person like this, who obviously has the blessing of God upon his life, can't enter the kingdom of God, then what is to become of the rest of us? How can anyone be saved? In Jesus, verse 26, he looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's the rub of the story. He now gives the solution to this unsolvable problem of how any human being can ever go to heaven, enter the kingdom of God, be saved, have eternal life. What is impossible for human beings is possible. With God. Salvation is a work of God. It has to be. It's impossible for human beings to do it in their own effort. But God has done the impossible for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 
Mark 10, 15, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Your heavenly Father loves you so much. Through Jesus, he is inviting you to come and receive eternal life. He's done for you what you can never do for yourself. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. It isn't owed to you. All you and I can do is receive it by faith like a little child. Romans 5, 6, Paul wrote, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a condition where God owes us nothing, Jesus gave his life for us. Have you received this gift from God? Do you recognize your need? Like this man in the story, after doing all that you've done and trying all that you've tried, have you found that there's still an emptiness in your soul? That's the first step. Recognizing your need. Recognizing that you've ran smack into a wall that you can't get over or around. The next step is to come to Jesus Christ. And rather than go away sad and discouraged like this man did in the story, we open our life to Jesus like a little child and we let him fill us with his life. Confess your sins to him. Acknowledge that you are not good enough to deserve or earn salvation, but you want to follow Jesus with your life and depend on him to give you his goodness and his eternal life. Ask and believe like a little child, and you will receive. That's what Jesus tells us. That's what he's asking us to Believe to trust in Him, not in ourselves, but in Him. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. I pray, Lord, that you would help every single one of us to be like a little child that receives from our loving Father all that we could never earn or deserve, eternal life, entrance into the kingdom, membership in your family, as your children, as your sons and daughters, eternal life. To have your good work 
already begin in us, even now, in this life, growing the life of Jesus in us and making us like him. As you would encourage your children this morning, Lord, reminding us of how precious we are to you and all that you've done for us. And I pray for those who are right there at that decision point, Lord, that today would be the day they, that they say, yes, I want to receive like a little child what you've done for me, Lord. I don't totally get it all yet. I don't understand it all. But I know that I'm at the end of my own rope. Help me to trust you with my life and my future. Make that so today for each one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.